Uh, I wanted to share a little bit about Ephesus because it, it should shape how we read the, the, the text and understand the text. Um, Ephesus, huge city. It's, it's, now, it's in modern-day uh, Turkey, and it was, it was an epicenter city. Uh, it'd be like a Rome or a Washington, D.C. You know, it's like one of these, these large cities where people go, and people went to Ephesus to, to worship and give sacrifice, sacrifices to pagan, to pagan gods. Um, it's sort of the belly of the beast. Like uh, Paul, as a Christian, was the vast, vast, vast minority. And yet, there was something in him, there was a conviction that I need to go into this place. I need to go in the place where I'm the, the minority. I need to go in this place where I'm going to stand out. I need to go to this place where everyone is doing this, um, but I have, the tr- I have what I believe is the truth, and a truth that can transform this city. And he had the guts to go there. Uh, I want to show you, so the temple... The, the primary sort of spot that people would have visited was this temple. This is the temple of Artemis. It's actually one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. Um, it does not look like that anymore. You can go to what it looks like now. Um, that's all that's left of it. But if you go back to it, because it, it really is um, amazing, compelling. This is where people came to Ephesus to, to worship and give sacrifices at this temple. To the, God, to the Greek and Roman gods, Artemis or Diana. And we read, actually read about some of this in the book of, of Acts. We find out how Paul actually ended up uh, in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. But um, Paul feels like God has led him to this city that uh, has turned from God, doesn't know about uh, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, he starts a church there. I, I put up a couple other photos just to give you. This was, there's a, there was a huge library in the city uh, of Ephesus that, that, was, that was known. This is what's, what's left there. And then the last one is, this is the great uh, theater, the great amphitheater. This held 25,000 people. It's a place where you would have gone, and they would have had uh, orators and speakers and, and probably a place of entertainment as well. But uh, tradition says that Paul very likely preached in that amphitheater. And um, seeing photos, I think it helps because it's like these places actually exist. That place actually exists. Ephesus actually uh, existed. And Paul started a church there. He started this church, and he was there for two years. And this was sort of Paul's pattern. He felt called by God. He was a missionary. He felt called by God to go to different regions, start churches, share the good news. He'd usually stick around to get the churches up and going and, and, and thriving, um, put leaders into, into these communities, and then he would leave and go start uh, another church. He was a church planner by heart. And so he's in Ephesus for two years. And now fast forward a number of years later, Paul finds himself in a jail uh, in Rome and he writes this letter to the Christians in Ephesus. This is the book of Ephesians. And there's two primary themes, really, that we're going to see emerge from this book study. And that is, Paul proclaims the good news. He proclaims the truth of who we are because of Jesus. 
And then the second one, in light of that, how should we as the church live? Not just you as an individual, but us as the church. Because being a Christian, is, it's a communal movement. We, we don't do it by ourselves. We do it together. And a lot of the messaging coming out of this book, this letter, is the importance of unity in the church. If we are uh, divided, we are weak. Um, if we're against each other, we are weak. And honestly, if we're against each other, we're not modeling the glory of God. If we're divided against each other, we aren't, we aren't bringing glory to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who exhibit unity. And so Paul, one of the primary themes is he's like, I, you guys have to fight for this. Because it doesn't come naturally. It's like a war. And every day we as the church have to fight for unity. This means doing hard things. This means forgiving when we're hurt. It means having hard conversations when we'd rather not. It means putting other people's needs in front of our own. It's learning how to be empathetic, to actually go, how might that person actually be feeling instead of just looking at ourselves? But every day, there is a work of the enemy trying to pull us apart because he knows if we're pulled apart, we fail to bring glory to God and we fail to, to show the world the gospel. We fail to show the world who God is. And so it's something that we must fight for. And it's worth fighting for. I want to read for you Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. I'm going to jump to 11. Next week, Laurel Bunker will be here, and she's going to look at verses 1 through 10. Um, but listen to what Paul says. And it's, Paul's like, he's an intelligent guy. You read his stuff, and he, like, he, he classically has the longest sentences in the history of the world. Um, I mean, seriously, like long sentences. You're like, dude, use a period once in a while. Take a breath. Um, but he's, he's, he's at times very theologically deep, dense. And, um, and so you might feel this as I read this uh, and as you read it on the screen. But part of what we're going to do together is we're going to look at this book and we're going, to, we're going to break this down to understand what is Paul saying, what is God saying through Paul, and what's it mean for us. So here's what he says. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, with a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Whenever you read Paul, I, I find it interesting to look at where he starts. Again, these are letters, these were not written as books of the Bible. They became books of the Bible, but these were letters. So I've always found it interesting to, you know, we should read it like a letter and, and to go, where does Paul start? 
Because in some ways, uh, that's important that Paul, that, that, that Paul, Paul feels like they, the people understand right away where I'm coming from. And right away in the book of Ephesians, he doesn't start with rebuke. He doesn't start with condemnation. We'll see that a little bit later, uh, where, where Paul addresses some of the behaviors that he sees that are out of line with, with what the church should be. He doesn't start there. He starts with this pivotal truth about the people of God, about the Christians in Ephesus and the Christians here at the Highlands. And that is, you belong to God. If I were to sort of boil this text down into one idea, one big idea, I would say God's people are God's possessions. God's people is God's possession forever. That when you belong to God, you belong to God as his, as his child forever. When you are brought into the family of God, you are in the family of God forever. And nothing can separate you from that adoption. And because of that, it should utterly change the way you look at yourself and at life. See, Paul doesn't start and he's like, I've been hearing this, I've been hearing that, and there's all these problems, and you guys are doing this, and it's contrary to the life that God's called you to. He doesn't start with behavior modification and then say, once you guys change your behaviors, and you make things right, then you are deemed worthy of being called a child of God. That's how the world works, though. Hard work always precedes achievement, most of the time. Usually, you're just not handed achievements. And name it. I mean, name anything in this world, like whether it's in the sport world, the business world, um, school, anything you can achieve, it almost always involves time, effort, hard work. It's just how the world works. But Paul's saying it's not exactly how the kingdom works. Your your, uh, adoption into the family isn't a result of your hard, holy work. Because of Jesus, he's actually given you the achievement first. You've been given the gift first. And in light of that, his prayer is that it would reshape how we look at ourselves, how we think about ourselves, and how we live. We live from that identity. We don't live trying to get an identity but that's how it works in the world. You work really hard to get an identity as a, as a good person or a good husband or a, a wealthy business leader or a great athlete. I mean, and that's fine. That's just how the world works. But it doesn't transfer over to the kingdom of God. We call it the upside-down kingdom, and this is an example of the upside-down kingdom. You're actually given the inheritance first. You're given your, the, the, the achievement first. And then you live from there. It's not about living obediently so you get it. It's, I, God gave it to me because he loves me. Therefore, I want to respond in obedience. He says this. And, and 
at the beginning he talks about predestination. And if you've been in the church for some time, it'll, it'll get you all fired up. And we, the church has been fighting about it since the beginning of time. And we'll figure it out down the road when we meet God. And I'm going to talk about that in a later sermon. Um, but for now, I want to focus in on verse 13. He says, when you, when you were included in Christ, when you heard the message of truth. And this is what Paul goes, the, the way to Jesus, it starts with hearing. It starts with hearing the good news of Jesus. The message of Jesus Christ. That you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Because of my sin, because of your sin, we all deserve death. Because we could not, we failed to live a perfect life in the eyes of God. And where sin is, God can't be. And so we're separated from God. Yet Jesus comes in, he lives the perfect life that we could never live. And his achievements... Like his glory, his reward of living that perfect life, he gives to us. So my shame becomes his shame. My sin is placed on him and his righteousness is placed on me. Amazing. Unbelievable. And God did that because he loves you, because he loves me. And so Paul goes, when you heard that, you needed to hear it. And then when you believe, so you've got to believe by faith, you've got to go, I believe that. Maybe I don't feel it, but I, I, I in faith, am believing in that. And, and Paul goes, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. So when you heard and you believed, you were literally stamped. It's almost like you were branded by God, by the Holy Spirit. And I, you know, when you brand an animal, like that's there. It's there forever. Whatever brand you put on that animal, it is there. And, and I mean, um, maybe you could cut it out. But Paul's saying, look, when you believed, when you heard and you believed, you were branded by the Holy Spirit. And nothing can rob you of that salvation. Nothing can steal that identity as a child of God. In fact, in 1 Peter, when it talks about inheritance and our, our inheritance, our salvation, Peter says it's held in heaven. It's sort of locked up. Like, you think about the best banks in the world. No Ocean's Eleven crew is going to get into this one in heaven. No one's going to break in. And no one can rob you of this gift, this gift of salvation and inheritance. And, you know, I, I just go, like, do we let that, like, sort of sink in enough that it, that it shapes how we live? Like, you belong to God, first and foremost. Like, and, and there is uh, an inheritance, it says, that is guaranteed. You know, there's a lot of things that, like, think about your inheritance. What is your inheritance? It's your money. It's your wealth. It's what you've, you've earned. It's what you've saved. And um, think about it this way. If, that, if that's true about what your inheritance is, Paul says here, and then later on in verse 16, he actually tells us that we are God's inheritance. 
What does that mean? Think about it this way. Let's say, um, just for the sake of the metaphor, let's say uh, your inheritance, your wealth, is, uh, is, is bundled into one item. And that, that one item holds 95% of your wealth. And uh, it, it lives in your house. Maybe it's in a safe place in your house. And, um, you know, that's your livelihood. That's your inheritance. And one day you smell smoke. And then you see flames. And you realize my house is on fire. And that this, my inheritance, could be burned up with my house. What would you do? You'd run and you'd get that thing. And you would get it, and uh, you'd run out, and it would be devastating, you know, obviously losing the house, but you still hold on to your inheritance, that sort of 95%, you can use it to get, get stuff that you lost. Like that's, we, we, I mean, when we think about that, like our inheritance in that way, like we hold tightly to that, to that stuff, like that wealth, like what, what we have to live on. And we're going to treat that differently. So when, 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 when Paul says that we are his inheritance, in other words, what he's saying is he's saying, look at what God owns. God owns all the stars, all the galaxy, all the planets, all the landscapes, all the oceans. He owns everything. And yet... His inheritance is not in what he has his inha- or what he controls. His inheritance is you. It means when he looks at you, he sees his wealth. When, you, when he looks at you, he sees what's most valuable to him. We are his inheritance. We are what is most important to him. At the end of ages, it's not all that he has or created, besides us, that's what he wants. That's what he loves most. And this is what Paul is getting at when he says this. You belong to him. You are his child. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He he has stamped you. He's branded you as his. You belong to him. I'll never forget the, when we adopted our kids, you had to go in front of a judge. And the judge f- would ask you, do you understand what you are about to say yes to? That in, in, in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the government, in the eyes of the state, legally, if you say yes to this child, they are every bit yours, as if this child was biologically born to you. And if you got a problem with that or any reservations about it, do not say yes. But do you understand if you say yes, there is no difference in the eyes of the government than if this child was biologically born to you or not. And it, it was one of the most moving parts for me in the adoption process. Because I realized when I said, when, when my wife and I said yes, um, my son, my daughter, they're mine. They're my children forever. And Jesus, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit looked at you 
And he said, yes. This is why the Bible uses adoption language, that we've been adopted into the family of God. Because he looked at you and he said, yes. And forever you belong to him. My kids, forever belong to me. They're, good at, they're my kids. And the government, they're going to look at me and go, you're the father. You can't run away from that. And I'm not going to run away from that. And God isn't going to run away from the fact that he's your father. He loves you. You belong to him. He said yes to you. The Bible has the audacity to say, with, with all the wealth that God has, you're his greatest treasure. And that has to sink deep into the hearts and minds of the Christian. If it doesn't, we're, 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 like, we're like everybody else who's looking for affirmation in what people say about us, who, who are looking for compliments and strokes of the ego. If it doesn't, our identity is shaped in what we accomplish, how much money we have, what people say, how many friends we have, how many social events we're invited to. And the Bible's like, no, do not, do not be shaped by that. Be shaped by this truth. You're a child of God. You're forever a child of God. I went to a blog this week and I, I, looked, I, I Googled how to boost your self-esteem. And I just wanted to see what was out there. And, uh, and this is some of the stuff uh, I read. If you want to boost your self-esteem, take some time each day to think of your talents. Think about how cool you are. Um, lose weight, okay, set some goals and reach them, but make sure they're reachable goals because the worst thing you could do is set a goal that you don't meet. That's not going to help with your self-esteem. Spend more time doing what you really enjoy doing. Spend more time with people who actually appreciate you and then literally pat yourself on the back. It was just one, one spot. I go, interesting. And you know what? Honestly, I can't argue with that. I'm not saying that that stuff isn't, isn't good or that's like if you do that stuff it's not going to boost your self-esteem but the way to look at that is all that stuff is just a dewdrop. what paul is saying here is the ocean i mean what if um you got up and you go man i i wish my self-esteem is low and all of us have times where it you know we struggle and we're it's low and we're hurting and we're not confident but what if we every day as as a christian said I am a, I'm a special treasure of God. And I don't know, maybe you go, it sounds corny, but what if you told yourself that? Because it's true. That when the God of the universe looks at me, his heart wells up. I'm his treasure. I'm his inheritance. The great God of the universe would, is willing to spend time with me and like pay attention to me. And use like his uh, omnipotent power to protect me and rescue me no matter what the cost. And he demonstrated by sending his son to die on the cross. What Paul wants the Christians in Ephesus, what God wants us to know, the Christians at the highlands, is that we are, the, we are God's treasure. We are his children and nothing can steal that from us. Nothing can rob us of that. Let's live within the truth of that identity. Not work hard to get it, but just work at reminding ourselves who we already are.
I don't know, you guys remember that 80s movie, Overboard? I think they remade it, which is sad. Overboard with Goldie Hawn. Anybody? Okay, yeah, classic. Thank you. Anyways, for those of you who um, haven't seen it, it's just, and this is a story that's been told, like the idea of this story, but Goldie Hawn plays this incredibly wealthy woman, and she gets bonked on the head, and she forgets that she's wealthy. And then she ends up getting kind of, bamboozled and lives with this, this, this poor guy. And so here she's living in the midst of poverty. But the reality is she is ultra rich. She's just forgotten. And I wonder if that's what we as Christians, if that's how we're living. That we have forgotten just how wealthy, spiritually wealthy we are how blessed we really are, how secure we really are. But we're living in weakness, in frailty, in, in poverty, when in fact we are wealthy, spiritually blessed by God as his children. And he's given us an inheritance that can never die, fade or be taken away from us. As we close, um, I just want to invite you today, tomorrow, this week, the rest of your life. What if you just spoke this truth out loud to yourself? What if you spoke these truths? How might it reshape how you see yourself and how you live in this world? We're going to... Um, take communion during these next two songs and we invite you if you're a, a follower of Jesus to come take communion and we'll have some people serving up here and we have a couple stations in the back as well as a gluten-free station if that's something you need um, but I was I was thinking about about this and, and taking communion and you know I don't know if you've ever had a debt that was paid you know maybe it was a, a bill or a school bill or whatever it might uh, medical bill, I don't know what, but, but you know, I, I don't know if you've ever had that, but, you know, the, the feeling and the burden of debt is heavy. And if you've ever had someone step in and just go, I'm paying for that debt, it's like one minute you're feeling the, the heavy burden of that debt and where am I going to get the money and how am I going to pay for this and what am I going to do? And, and then the next minute you're freed from it. Like that, that's, that, that sense of feel freedom is so powerful this is what Jesus has done like we were in debt we, we, we were condemned and then he steps in and he pays the debt of our sin and we, in one minute we're condemned the next minute we're righteous like he made that payment and he did it because he loves us and he cares for us so as we come to the table I just I encourage you to remember that. Proclaim it. Embrace it. And embrace the true identity of who you are. You belong to him. You're his child. You're his special possession. And nothing, nothing can separate you from that identity. Nothing. That is good news. If you heard good news this week, this is better. It's good news. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. And then we'll continue worshiping. Lord Jesus, your grace your love, your compassion and mercy, I pray that it would compel us. 
I pray that we'd be able to receive it this morning for those who are resistant to it. Break through and help them receive it. I pray for those who have forgotten to believe it, that they would claim it. I pray for those of us who are living as if we're in the streets, spiritually impoverished, that we would be reminded of who we are, that we are the, the children of God, that we are your inheritance, that we are, we are uh, your most valued treasure, that you've given us everything we need. You'll be with us through every storm, every battle, that we are spiritually rich, spiritually blessed, and that there's an inheritance in heaven, an eternal, a gift of eternal life that can never be robbed from us. May it change the way we live here and now. We come to your table, Jesus, and we say thank you. We proclaim the truth of what you've done, and we proclaim that you will come again. And we're excited. We look forward to that day. But until then, there is work to be done, and we will fight the good fight. We will strive to be the church you desire us to be and live out our identity, who we really are as your children. In Jesus' name, amen.